0: God, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, get those out, and uh, and and we'll go over to the Book of Psalms and turn to the second Psalm, Psalm chapter two. The Lord has given me a message, a word, and I want to continue sharing that message with you today because it's right and it's good and it's time. Psalm chapter 2, we'll start with reading the passage we've read the last few weeks. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. I like the the New Living uh, translation of verse 3. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. Or the message Bible reads, "Let's get free of God," and so this is the cry of uh, those who who rage and who plot a vain thing. They they would consider the Lord, His ways, His promises, His covenants, to be bondage, to be a cord around their neck, and their fighting back, pushing back, saying, let's get free of God. And anyone who really knows him thinks, that's dumb, (laughs) right? You got to be kidding me. You you don't want to get free of God. He is your life. He is salvation. He is joy and peace and hope. And he is our victory forevermore, right? I don't want to get free of God. Uh, There is a place, by the way, that is completely free of God. And you can go there if you want. (laughs) Highly discouraged. All right. H-E-l-l. No God there. All right, that's what life is like, separated completely from God. And uh, how many know uh, uh, the Lord doesn't um, force anyone that doesn't want him into his heaven? You have to go there on purpose. You have to go there because you have chosen to go there. You have chosen his ways. He's not pushing anyone into his blessings. So we should understand how he works. Everybody awake today? All right, everybody? Okay, good. Just checking. Uh, In the meantime, there are those, according to this passage, and we can see this playing out in the world today, still true. There are those who fight against the Lord and his anointed, all right? And his anointed, in a broad interpretation, could include us could include any person who's received the Lord, they fight against, and th- th- they, they, they do this, but they're, they're doing it uh, futilely, or as the Borg would say, in, in futile, <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, they're doing it because how many know the Lord will win? His ways will eventually uh, come to pass. He will have his way. The wisdom that we should have now is basically to get on board. We should stand strong. We should stay on the Lord's side. If ever you have a thought or someone tells you directly that God is your problem, they're they're lying. They're either deceived or they're lying, but that is not the case. God is never your problem. Well, then why did the Lord let this happen? Stop right there. Before you accuse, say, Lord, I'm lacking knowledge, and I seek to understand. Stay on his side, and you'll come into the light and understand things more. He's not your afflictor. He put all of the affliction on Jesus so we could be free. Right? Jesus bore the sin of the world and the bondage of uh, of all mankind and disease and curse of every kind. Not so that we could also live in that, but so that we could be free from that. Everybody okay today? Amen. Amen. And so, uh, our goal then in life and is to be who we are. Now, not who we are in ourselves. I come from this family, from this part of the country, or this part of the world, and that's who I... No, 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 no. Our goal is just to be who we are in Christ, in Him. Not trying to become something we're not, but trying to realize who we are and just living that way, thinking that way. And uh, because what the Lord has designed us to be. We taught this last week. We are the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. All right. So I just want to be who I am because who I am in Christ is impressive. Who you are in him is nothing insignificant. You are not easily cast aside, but you are glorious, full of his light. You are, the, you are the redeemed of the Lord. You are a bright shining light in his kingdom. So it's not about trying to get something we don't have or become something we're not. It's really to embrace and acknowledge what God has already done in us. Amen. Not with pride, but great humility. You should look in the mirror and say, you are one impressive creature. And when you're done, make sure you remember and say, thank you, Jesus, because <laughs> you have made me new. You have washed me and cleansed me and made me something special because that is true. It's a fact, Jack, no matter whether, whether you accept it or embrace it or not, it's still true. God did it. It would behoove us to embrace what he says about us. And every time we read what he calls us to be, what he says about us, we say, yeah, that's true about me. Even if your mind gives you trouble. And says, no, you're not. You're a rascal. I know what you, you know, your mind starts accusing you. I know what you did yesterday. I know what you thought today. You're not in all this kind of garbage. Say, I'm going to stay with the Lord. I'm going to stay on his side. I'm not going to be accusing the Lord. I'm not going to be among those who rage. I'm going to be those who, among those who laugh and embrace the glorious truths of who he has called us to be. Praise God. We're called in scripture living stones, part of God's spiritual house. All right, and uh, uh, we stand for righteousness and against wickedness. that's why this message is called the stand. Now, something that's very peculiar to me uh, is the fact that we have a message called the Gospel. all right Gospel means good news and and even though our message is Good news. Just like those in Psalm chapter two, people rage against it. People fight against it. They call it something that it's not. They view it as bondage. They view it as something they want to get away from. Not everybody, of course, but some people do. But how is it that we have good news for you? Yeah, and 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 they want to attack you for it. Speak down, criticize. No, it's good news. You don't understand. It's good news. There's something you're missing it here. I, th- I think you're missing the point of what this message really is. But there is something in it's in the word of God and it's reality. You'll see it as we go. That is offensive about God. It's hard to even say that. That Jesus is offensive. But it's written in here that he is. In fact, there's a passage of scripture, a verse in the Psalms that is quoted again and again and again. This always gets my attention when I read things like this. I see Jesus talking about it. And then I see it in the Acts. And then I see it where Paul, the apostle, he's writing about it. And Peter brings it up. And, and I think this one is in there in the New Testament like six or seven times, forms of it or parts of it. And, and that is the scripture about Jesus being a stumbling block. For a rock of offense. L- let me read uh, some to you. Well, not yet. I have a pre-planned order. <laughs> let me say this first, because it goes along. Uh, when the big day, first Christmas, there was prophecies coming forth, you know, to Mary, we read about it in Luke chapter two. One of the things said about Jesus is very interesting. I'll, I'll read it to you. Luke two, thirty-four and thirty-five. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul as well, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Okay, I want to listen to this peculiar prophecy about Jesus. He's coming to expose people's hearts. Their hearts would be revealed. But you would think him being the Savior, that his coming would be for the rise of many in Israel. But you wouldn't necessarily think that, his, that he would be destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And this is the nature of even something that is inherently wonderful, powerful, and good. The gospel. That it contributes to people going down and to people coming up. There are uh, There's something about whenever God does something in the earth that many people are helped by embracing it. And other people are actually harmed because they resist it. Yeah? So it's good. It's inherently wonderful and powerful. But our response to the message determines our future outcome. And this was true about Jesus saying it from the very beginning. Now I wanted to read to you uh, Romans 9 verse 33. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whoever believes on him, him who? The stone, the rock, stumbling stone, rock of offense. It's not just a a rock, it's, it's a person. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So the right response to Jesus causes us to be free of shame. Isn't that good news? However, if you don't believe on him, what happens is you will be put to shame. In other words, seeking salvation through any other means makes one trip over Jesus. He is the Savior to those who embrace him. He is a stumbling stone to those who have a problem with what he has to say. And how many know the Lord said some pretty strong things? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And some say, yes, I have the answer. He is my hope. He is my salvation. He is my victory. I receive. And others say, that sounds very narrow. You're very narrow-minded. I can't accept that. I don't receive that. And they trip over God's method of bringing goodness into their lives. Some find it quite offensive that all their religious efforts are futile in God's eyes. And it's true, and maybe it's been true in your life. Because people grow up, we all grow up kind of with things that we didn't choose. And some are taught a certain way. And the way that they've been taught is very religious in this regard, you do these things and you be faithful to this code, this system, this, this religious practice and you'll be right with God. You'll, be, you'll go to heaven and when someone comes along and says, all that's uh, filthy rags. All that is worthless. Well, that can be quite offensive to them. A, a person told me a while back, they said, I, I grew up in a particular religion. And, and then I was a part of that for many years. And they explained the events that transpired in their life. And then they said, then I became a part of this other one. And uh, I know I'm being vague. I'm, I'm trying not to be intentionally offensive. Uh, it's the two that knock on your door. Okay. <laughs> They're both in our area. They were a part of one. They were a part of the other. And they, they, they were explaining to me, they, they said... When you grow up in this and then you teach it yourself, they said it is very difficult to give it up. They said very difficult to let that go or to depart from that, that belief system and they have come out of both of those systems. They embraced both, preached both, argued both uh, and, and then when talking to me, they were no longer a part of, of either of them But I understand when someone pours their life into something and they put all their effort, their money, their time, and their identity is in something, and then someone comes along saying, Jesus did it all. He paid the full price. His blood was shed. And you don't have to do anything except believe that. And you're saved. And how many know the religious brain goes wild no you can't say that you can't and then it goes usually it goes to well you can't just tell someone they can just live however they want and they just pray a prayer and they're going to heaven and they battle this argument against human effort versus receiving a gift and that's why Jesus said there's some people going to trip over this people are going to stumble over this all day long because their mind has a difficult time embracing it in fact Jesus said this in uh, John fifteen eighteen and 19, he said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, how many know the Lord's trying to be encouraging here? <laughs> he said, they're going to hate you, by the way, and they're going to attack you, but don't worry, it's just because of me. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but it is. He says, it's not really you. He said, it's the message you, you, you carry. It's, it's your relationship with me. It's your proclaiming my name. And they will attack you because of that message. It goes cross-grain to what so many people uh, accept or embrace. But we cannot preach salvation without repentance. So, I uh, there's part of this where you have to say, I've got good news for you. But before you're ever going to accept the good news, you have to admit that you are wrong. Yeah, right. And how many know pride steps in there and does not want to admit that? Pride does not want to give up. Uh, all these years I've spent thinking a certain way, believing a certain thing. I've identified myself as a certain religion or, uh, or agnostic or something else or an intellectual. I've identified myself this way. And now you're saying something that's totally different and I have to cut ties with who I I am. Well, it's not who you are, but yes. You mean I've done this all my life trying to be a good person and be right with God and you're saying it was was worth nothing? Yes, it was. But here's the good news. All your effort and all your self-identity with this or that, you can repent of it. And you could be made right with God in an instant by receiving Jesus. Say, well, I don't want to do that. I know. That's why humility is key. You remember how I Satan got the boot out of heaven? Lucifer? <laughs> because of pride. Self-exaltation. It, is, it takes a real work of God in someone's heart for them to humble themselves and say, not my way, your way. I'm going with Jesus. I'm going with what he said. But if we're going to speak of the light, it's going to expose darkness. We can't tell you to to seek his righteousness without saying that your righteousness is as filthy rags. And how many know, it's like, well, that's kind of a low, low blow. And it's like, I know, but it's true. And that's the way this works. When we're done, we don't pat ourselves on the back. We don't say, yay, I did it. We say, thank you, Lord. You did it for me. Oh, you're so good to me. You've been merciful. You've been gracious and kind. See, there is a contrast, a real distinction between right and wrong. We must learn to stand while others bow. And we must bow while others mock and even resist. The way that we want to be individually, the way that we want to be as a church is we want to treat people in such a non-offensive way, meaning I want the first people you see in the parking lot to be the nicest people here. They're full of joy and got great attitudes and hearts of servant, servanthood and they love people. And then you see them again at the door and they're welcoming and and, every, and, and we work our best to make the temperature perfect. You know, it's, that's a challenge with personal preference. The temperature, the sound, the lighting. Let's do everything. Make the chairs as comfortable as possible. Clean the place. Let's make everything the best we can. I, we want to be so non-offensive, so I can bring you a message (laughs) that will get right up in your business. (laughs) Because I don't want you to waste your your annoyances on these other things. You've got to save them for what I have to say. (laughs) Otherwise, you know, you're spent by the time I get up here. And so I, (laughs) by the way, can I encourage you that way? If you find yourself getting annoyed on the way to church, set that aside. At home, on the drive, inside, if you don't like this or that, cast it all aside. Or by the time I get to you, you're gone. You're not even going to be able to accept this. Your pride will st- lift its ugly head, and you'll, resi- <laughs> you'll resist the true help that the Lord has for you. <laughs> Amen. So, let me give you another verse. Uh, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. Again, following the same theme. He said, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see a different reaction to the same person. To me, Jesus crucified, oh, glory to God. He, has, he is the power and wisdom of God to me. I've received and embraced his goodness, and oh, my life has changed. What a, wonderful, what a wonderful thing this is. But to some, they can't get over this. To the Jews, they're tripping over him. It's like, no, it can't be. They had this preconceived idea of what a Messiah would be and what he would do and how he would save them, and they didn't see it in Jesus. And many Jews still today don't, don't see uh, Jesus in the, the way that they were taught, the way they would expect him to be. And so they trip, they stumble over him. And then he said, The Greeks, they're saying, Huh, nah, this is a bunch of foolishness. We, we, might, we might say it this way uh, to replace Jews and Greeks, because uh, generally I'm not ministering to lots of Jews or Greeks, although Euros aren't bad, you know. Uh, but. Uh, We might say, to the religious, he's a stumbling block. And to the intellectual, this is foolishness. But I tell you, to embrace him, to believe in him, he becomes all that he is in you and to you. Praise God. And by the way, it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation, right? Ultimately, I'd like to answer everybody's questions. I'm a answer kind of person. I like to have answers. I like to know the answers. If I don't know, I want to find out. And if people come to me questioning me about God or prayer or anything like that, I like to have answers. And I have some answers. I don't have all the answers. And if I think I'm going to win the world by answering every question that everybody has, I'm missing something because God never intended it to work that way. Even those who are convinced through apologetics and through archaeology and through the validating the written word and, and proving the resurrection. I tell you, ultimately, it's not your mind that saves you. I got every single question answered I've ever had, so I'll give my life to the Lord. Baloney. Yeah, come on. What happens is he works spiritually with us. And that's why I believe that as I speak and as you speak the gospel, that God takes that and reveals it to someone inwardly. And sometimes, many times, people get saved and they still have a thousand questions but they know it's right. They know he's real. They know that God is dealing with them. And they're saved and all they are are is left with thank you. There is an attitude that I believe we should all have. Okay? If the gospel that we preach is so potent that it's either again... Deemed as foolishness, offensive, or salvation. It's so potent and so high level, so real. Like I say, it's orange juice concentrate. Come on. I think our attitudes ought to match that. Okay, when I'm talking about the stand, who we are and what we belong to is of such great power and strength and significance, I want to be equal to the task. I want my attitude to be commensurate to this great calling that we've received. All right, So I don't want to have a strong gospel but then a weak resolve where I can be intimidated easily, cast aside easily. I, side, side note to my message, I, I applaud some, I read about or read the headline, the, these pastors I think in New Mexico They had services on Christmas and their government is suing them now. I applaud those pastors for having backbone. I do. And I think for some of us that have, we have a little bit easier in our state, we ought to be praying for some of our fellow believers in other states where they're being persecuted. And it is that. Say, well, no one's being thrown to the lions like in the old days. I I, I realize that, but one step leads to another. And uh, and let's do that. We are one family around the world. And we need to help one another. And so, I'm back to this. Uh, The attitude that we have that measures up to this great calling, this great salvation, this amazing Jesus, uh, reminds me of a guy in the Old Testament that most people have heard of named David, and his first public battle with a dude named Goliath. Uh, Most people are familiar with the story. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to read a few verses from that so you can see how that transpired, how that played out in his situation. But David was an example for many to follow. We need some more Davids in our generation, okay? Uh, If you know the story, David, the young man, he was the shepherd and taking care of the flock, and Goliath was the great, mighty warrior of the Philistines, and, and, and you can read about the, his armor and his spear, and this is one massive dude. All right, let me read a few verses. First Samuel 17, verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I want you to notice how the enemy works. All he's doing is using words at this point. And what is he doing? He's trying to strike fear into the hearts of his enemy. And it's working. He's going out there spewing his, his evil words and they're shaking in their boots They are afraid of what uh, he is saying. And how many know in our day, this is true now Christianity is routinely mocked among some of the loudest voices in our national media. It is mocked by people on, you know, some of the nightly comedians, some of the major tech companies. Even even some of our public educators and university professors, they routinely mock and, and, and belittle and make fun of someone who would believe in Jesus as the Savior of the world and mock our standards, saying they're outdated and narrow-minded and would even accuse us of being hateful. We are living in a tough place, a tough world that is getting more extreme on that side. There is more offense. There is more belittling and calling it foolishness. And so what we need is a response that does not cower like Saul and his army shaking in their boots at, 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 the, at, the, at Goliath's words. But those who would have such resolve to say, it doesn't matter what you say or what you think. The Lord has changed my life. It needs to be so real to us individually and personally that nothing can shake shake us in our commitment before him. We cannot live for the pleasure of man. Verse 16, and the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. 40 days. You can see, what is he doing? Just trying to intimidate just trying to put fear every single day. Every morning you wake up to this guy doing this. Every night his, his words are ringing out as people would go to sleep. The giant is trying to intimidate. Verse 26, David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills his Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is this young shepherd boy using pretty strong words now, and uh, and notice what he calls him uncircumcised philistine. How many know that's a low blow? Uh, but what is he referring to? He's not just criticizing him and in his anatomy or anything like that. Language references covenant. Circumcision was the covenant sign of, of their relationship with God and, and he said this guy is outside of God's covenants and he's speaking against us he's trying to intimidate and cause us to back down and yet he is outside of these covenants no sirree Bob he, he, uh, he, he is not backing down whatsoever and, uh, and he has this attitude that says no and now naturally speaking he ought to be trembling in his boots if you're just talking size of that dude, size of me, there's no contest here. But, but he goes on to say, let me skip down to, to 32. Then David said to Saul, let no, man, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. Stop fearing. We, this is what we need. More people like this. We're not fighting a physical battle against a physical... Uh, mighty warrior, but I tell you, we need people with this courage that say, don't don't fear. Don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to speak out. I'm going to let the ways of God be known. Verse 43, so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. You might even think, Dude, why are you even still trying to intimidate him? If he's so small and you're so big, just take him out. Yet he's yapping. This is how the enemy gets through to people. With words, 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 words. If you embrace the negative words, you lose. We need to learn to resist wrong thoughts. Resist... Prophecies of doom and gloom and failure. You are going to be victorious. Your year is going to be better than it ever has been. Come on, embrace the promise. Embrace the word of God. It doesn't say, how do you know that? I know it because I believe it not based on something I'm grabbing from the air, based on the promises of God for me personally. I'm not saying I can predict the whole world and what's going to happen and saying everybody's going to win. It's going to be a great year for everybody. It's not. But I choose to believe that it will be for me. I I choose to believe the word of God personally and my accepting and embracing that in spite of the doom and gloom crowd It will set me up to succeed. It's inward strength, it's confidence that enables us to stand in the evil day. Where were we? (laughs) Verse forty-five. Then David said to the Philistine, "You come to me with a sword and, and with a spear." And with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. I want you to see what David's doing here. He's not saying it's because I'm so strong or I'm so smart, I'm so good, I'm so skilled in my uh, in my battle uh, skills, so forth. No, he said I'm coming to you in the name of someone greater, someone higher. I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord my God. I am the one who has the covenant. You don't have it. And what would we say? We're saying I'm not attacked. I'm not pushing back against this disease or this poverty or this discouragement or this darkness in my life with my own wit, my own strength, because I'm so brilliant. We're saying I'm coming against it in the name of Jesus. Not one time do I ever, when I pray for sick people like we're going to do on Wednesday night, do I say in the name of Mark, be healed. In the name of Mark, be healed. Not one time I've ever thought about doing that, been tempted to do that because I'm not the healer. But I say in the name of Jesus let it be so. In the name of Jesus this has to go. And when we recognize who we belong to and the name, the power that's in that name, we start, we stop attacking our enemies with our own strength. When we're afraid, it's because we're thinking of our own selves. Independent of God. But when we recognize Him and His might and His glory and His power in us, then we start functioning. We start living. We start making decisions and doing things in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 And so David stood up to Goliath when no one else would. Amen. We are his standard bearers today. We stand in the name of the Lord. I want to show you one more thing. And if you would, turn, with, turn to this one in your Bible. To 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If we do not stand up and stand strong, the enemy will be free to do his work, taking people captive to do his will. They need someone to stand up for them. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Is that what I told you? Verse 24. Look at this. Look at this. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Just like I said. You uncircum... No, <laughs> sorry. Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty-four. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Look at the lang- look at the attitude here. So our strong stand is not an argumentative stand. We're not looking for a uh, we're not looking for a fight. We're not trying to argue with everyone and prove everyone wrong. That's not our our position. We are seeking to be patient, able to teach. Look, verse 25, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. We're called to correct because people are in opposition to God and his ways and his righteous standards. Are we supposed to be silent? No, we're not. We're supposed to correct. But you know what makes that work? Humility. It's not me trying to prove I'm right and I'm right and you're wrong and there's something wrong with you. You must be, uh, you know, lacking something. You know, your elevator doesn't go all the way to the top kind of thing. No, this is not about putting people down, calling them dumb. I tell you, if I were left on my own, I would not know the Lord. It's by his grace that I see and know anything. How I've been able to, to understand how healing works and how miracles happen. It's not because I'm smarter than anybody else. It's not because I'm more... Spe- it's because of the grace of God that we see these things happen. And, but he said, we are to correct those who are in opposition, but we do so in humility. Humility is the key. If perhaps... If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. We present and trust God for his grace to enable them to see it, to recognize it, and come to a place of repentance. Then the devil loses his grip off of their life. Then his bondage is broken. Do you see how it takes us having the right attitude? It's strong. It's not backing down. It will correct in the right place with the right attitude. And then God has an opportunity in that atmosphere to grace people to see it and make changes. Amen. There's an old saying... I don't know who, uh, where its origin was, but you've heard it before. All that is necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And it's not the time for the body of Christ to be doing nothing. I believe he wants us to stand strong like never before. Have some firm resolve. Not just about, I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps, but I'm gonna trust in the living God and his power to enable and sustain me. Amen? Praise God. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for working in us, working in every person, working in